This is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and today we're going to be studying in Romans chapter 7 through 16. We're finishing Paul's epistle to the Romans. And we're diving into the topic this episode of belonging. Who belongs to the tribe of Israel or to the Israelite uh, name that Paul uses? Uh, And in our modern day, who belongs to the church of Jesus Christ? And what do those people that belong act like? What do they think like? What sets an Israelite or a member of the church apart? So we're really excited to say we spent the last couple of days talking about this uh, quite a bit. So we're excited to study. But first, we're going to begin with a quick announcement that this week we are going to be releasing a bonus episode. And that is last week we mentioned our Facebook Live video that we were teaming up with Salt Gathering and their Closer to Christ group. Um, We ended up recording that audio and we decided that the questions that were asked and hopefully the discussion will be meaningful to some of you. I know some of you um, that don't don't have Facebook or weren't able to listen asked us and we decided that the sound quality isn't wonderful but it's pretty good so we're going to release it and hope that that content helps you lots of people's good study questions so hopefully if that's something that interests you tune in this week we'll be releasing that later on and then of course we're going to move on to our question for this week and that question comes from actually one of our friends um, and neighbors Molly Barton and she Um, messaged me the question, are the last few books of scripture harder for you or people to read? I feel like reading the gospels was like reading the Book of Mormon in clarity. And now in Acts and Romans, I feel like it's more Old Testament. Um, I'm still reading along with Come Follow Me, but to be honest, it's harder to make it through the actual scripture blocks just because it's harder for me to understand. Um, Just wondering if you've ever felt this way or have any study tips Um, to help me understand this a little better. So we thought, being that we still have lots of these um, books to go through, this would be a good one to to start off with. And the first one that we thought of is actually one that we've shared in an earlier episode this year, and that is reading in different translations um, of the Bible. And that's actually my most other frequently asked question is, what book, what other book of scripture should I get? Or what other translation do you read from? I currently read from, a lot of times in these episodes, I'll be reading from a Christian Standard Bible. Um, We read a lot from our King James Version. Zach's favorites are an English Standard Version and a New International Version. So the NIV and the ESV and the CSV. (laughs) You can always Google those so you can kind of understand the differences, but... Uh, Don't feel like you have to go out and buy a whole new Bible either. Um, because uh, a lot of these translations are available online. In fact, the last time I think I Googled a verse and it came up with a little drop-down menu to select the translation I wanted the verse to show up in. But even if that doesn't show up on yours, if you go to Bible Hub or Bible Gateway, those are two really good websites that'll show you a verse of scripture, a whole chapter, a whole book um, in the translation that you choose. And some of them you can even compare side by side. So you can put your King James translation next to an English Standard Version translation Um, and see what you read in your paper scriptures and kind of see a different translation. And it just helps to, um, sometimes the word order, just the simple placement of words 
helps you to understand things in a different way. It's, um, you know, the King James Version was written 400 years ago in very old English, and some of these translations are much more modernized English and uh, makes it a little bit easier to understand. Mm-hmm. We had a, a dear friend and listener who said that she, for the first time, is reading another translation, and she just was so excited because she said, I feel like I know Paul in a different way after reading a different translation. There's beauty to each translation. For me, I have to say that this, I just bought this for this New Testament study this year. And I have just, I feel kind of the same way that I can just understand in a new and different way, just reading through this way. So that's, I think, one tip that could help change. I think another one that was useful for me in passing, Zach mentioned, well, I just, I just really think of these as almost like general conference talks, um, that they're sermons as we move on. These are sermons. And so they're not as story-based like the New Testament and the Book of Mormon can be that make it a little bit easier to, to go through the story. Um, so I think even having that, that shift is, can be helpful too. Sometimes those websites will give you some contextual information. You can kind of know what was going on, for example, in Rome when Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans. Just like the Doctrine and Covenants makes much more sense when you understand the church history that was taking place when that revelation was received or what the question was that prompted it. Uh, A lot of these epistles make much more sense when you understand what's going on behind the epistle. That's part of our focus in our podcast episodes in these epistles is to try and frame this study in a way that when you listen to us, uh, it helps you understand that background a little bit so that when you dive in, you understand the questions, you understand what's going on, and it makes more sense to you. So don't give up. A lot of people say that uh, the Pauline epistles are some of the hardest scriptures to read in the New Testament. Um, And so if you're struggling through it, you're not the only one. Um, they're beautiful, but they take a lot of time and a little bit of effort to kind of work your way through. So, and I'd even say, maybe I'll talk, I talk about this a lot in our bonus episode, because this is kind of my, my soapbox, I guess you could say. Um, but just don't get hung up if you don't understand every word, or maybe you aren't going to know the background to every story, but still you'll find yourself reading and maybe connecting to even a few verses or, um, something's going to stick out to you. Um, And sometimes it just takes pushing through things to say, oh, I know what God's trying to tell me today Mm. through these scriptures. So I think let's work through it together. And I do like what Zach mentioned that we, that is really our hope in this is that maybe you can listen to this and just say, oh, okay, I kind of have this little bit of a framework that helps me dive into these chapters a little bit easier. It gives me a little background for those. So. With that in mind, we're going to dive into these chapters, the second half of Paul's epistle to the Romans. If you remember last week, we gave a little bit of background, um, not just of Paul's epistle here, but of his epistle, of of all of his epistles. He's writing into a Christian world uh, that is, it's not even, there's not even really a Christian church yet. These are just people that are following um, Jesus, but they come from all these different backgrounds. And you'll see some of that that plays out in this episode, especially. Um, we were messaged early on this week, um, by, uh, a listener named Jordan and in his comment to us, um, Jordan described himself as an unorthodox member of the church. And we asked him what he, how he would describe that unorthodoxy, how he would define it and why he would categorize himself. And he, he gave permission for us to share this, um, 
He said that his description of an orthodox believer is someone who is traditional, who maybe is unquestioning and believes things literally or as they're, as they're spoken and written. Someone that's unorthodox might think a little bit more critically, uh, might question the why or the what behind different things, maybe has some doubts or questions. Uh, he mentioned a, a faith crisis that he had been through, and as he's kind of rebuilding his belief system, it looks a little bit different than it used to. Now, Jordan's not unique in this. We've been messaged by a couple of people uh, that have described themselves in similar ways. And as we were talking about it, we thought, you know, we we probably identify with that same feeling. We both grew up in um, non-quote-unquote non-traditional uh, homes as it relates to our membership and our family's relationship with the church. Um, we have some different ideas on um, social issues and and uh, and and uh, some questions, of course, about about the church, about history, about doctrine, about policies. Um, and it made me think of this experience I had on my mission. My, my companion and I were driving down the street one day, and Elder Ballard had challenged our mission to contact 10 new people a day. You remember that where they're called Ballards, and you had to like... I know, um, we were laughing that we called them Ballards. <laughs> we did dumb things like at the stoplight, you'd roll down the window and try and get the person in the car that stopped next to you to roll down their window so you can pass along card. And <laughs> anyway, it was really dumb. Well, it wasn't dumb. It was great. It was a great challenge. We were dumb missionaries trying to work on the challenge. But... So my companion and I are driving down the road and there's this guy walking down the street. So we pull our car over and think, great, here's one of our ballards. And we jump out and we start talking to this guy. And as we're talking to him pretty quickly, he puts up his hands and he says, I, I know all about you guys. You guys are the Mormons, right? We said, yeah. And he says, um, you are the ones that don't believe in anything like modern um, or any kind of modern technology. And my companion and I looked at each other and we looked back at the car we had just jumped out of and we said, no, we, we do. And he argued, said, no, no, I, I, I watched a whole documentary on it. You don't believe in any of that. You don't believe on like civil services. You try and live off the land and live away from people. And we kept going back and forth with him, trying to put my companion, showed him our cell phone, trying to prove to him that no, that's it's not us. And he, and he wouldn't have any of it. And we eventually just ended the conversation. And uh, we found out later on that there was a documentary in Germany on the Amish people. But the whole time in the documentary, they called them Mormons. And so that's probably what he watched. And and uh, but as we were um, as, as we ended the conversation, he said something that's always stuck with me, and it came up as I was as I was thinking about this this week. He says, "Well, there must just be different kinds of Mormons then." And we said, "Yep, there are." And we walked off. And I've thought a lot about that this week as I read Jordan's message to us, and as I've thought about others that have shared similar thoughts. Um, about the different kinds of members of the church. And so here's what we want to do. Um, in Romans chapter 9, Paul is wrestling with something very similar. This church he's writing into is filled with different kinds of people. One of those groups is these converted Israelites who are now Christians. Um, and Paul's lamenting here at the beginning of Romans chapter 9 that his kinsmen, Israelites, who, he says in verse 4, belongs to them the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Uh, it belongs to them the patriarchs and also that Jesus Christ of the flesh comes from them. He's an, he's an Israelite. He comes from the tribe of Judah. And Paul's lamenting that these Israelites, um, many of them, don't believe or don't follow Christ. And he's mourning that. 
And then he says this really powerful thing at the end of verse 6. He says, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Or in a different translation, this is my ESV translation. It says, um, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Now that can be read two ways. It can be read, not every quote-unquote Israelite is a true Israelite. If they reject the covenants and they're not following God, then even though they may be of the lineage of Israel, they don't belong to Israel. But in verse 8, he makes this statement. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Meaning it doesn't, your descendancy doesn't matter. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. In other words, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who your parents are. Um, an Israelite is someone to whom belongs the promise, someone that's willing to make promises with God and who wants to receive his promises made to them. As I've thought about this issue of orthodoxy or unorthodoxy, I've thought of all the different ways that we label ourselves in the church as active or inactive or believing or doubting or orthodox or unorthodox. And it just strikes me that there's so many different labels that kind of swirl around and yet we all belong um, to Christ. There's no, there's no point at which this group doesn't belong and that group does belong. We all belong um, to this covenant. We're all adopted. We all belong to this family. And I would go further to say that all of us are needed. We hear that spoken often from the pulpit at General Conference, but we need everyone with these different beliefs. And I love that um, we find Paul again saying a similar message. So this is in chapter 12. Um, he says, starting in verse, verse three, he says, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function. And I think it's really interesting as you think about this, we are not, we are all distributed a measure of faith. It doesn't say how much, mm -hmm. it doesn't say how little, but we're all given some, um, now, as we have many parts in one body, we do not all have the same function. So our faith is for a different reason. Everyone has a role to play with their faith that they have. He goes on to say in verse 5, In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportions of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching. If exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. I think not only um, does the message to me is, what does this orthodoxy or unorthodoxy actually mean? I think it was interesting for us even thinking, how do you define this? Yeah. And then we reached out to a couple friends and said, how would you define this? And we asked Jordan too, how would you define this? Because I think, like Zach mentioned, I think we all kind of think we're unorthodox in some ways. And like Paul is saying here, you know, maybe your faith is really good at service. My faith isn't as good at service. Or maybe your gift is um, teaching. Maybe yours is... Questioning. Questioning. Mm -hmm. And I just say... We need it all. Yeah. That's what makes us this one body. And will we see that? I mean, I'm thinking of a few epistles later. Did you say it's in Corinthians where mm -hmm. he talks about we need the hand, we need the arm, we need the eye in order for us to function. And these different faith measurements that we put on ourselves, I think, can maybe be the barrier to saying, you know what? 
this is me and I have these doubts or these questions or I don't have these doubts or these questions, but we all need each other. As we've been talking about this, you know, we both kind of thought, well, we identify as unorthodox. We grew up in different homes and uh, have different beliefs about different things and questions and all of that. Um, the older, the more people I meet in the church, the more I realize I think more people consider themselves unorthodox than consider themselves orthodox. I'm just curious if, if we were to gather, you know, say general conference, 21,000 people in general conference, in general, seated there. So these are people that are going to get a ticket and go to general conference. I'm just curious if someone stood up the pulpit and said, raise your hand if you consider yourself an orthodox member of the church or an unorthodox member of the church. Um, how many of you have questions about church history or church doctrine? Raise your hand. How many of you have had faith crises or struggles or wrestles? Raise your hand. I'm just, I'd be curious to know how many of us there actually are. Um, as we were talking earlier today, I thought, you know, the brethren have sent a very consistent message that all belong and all are needed. I think what we need to do as Orthodox or unorthodox members alike is we need to start uh, sharing that message. We need unorthodox members of the church to say, I belong here. Of course, I've got questions and I've got doubts, but I belong here. I have, I, I want to be here. I want to make promises with God and I want to make promises with me. And the more that we have that, the more people feel comfortable. So what we want to do this episode um, is open this up. We'll share a couple of thoughts, but open this up for your study. Paul's going to spend a lot of time in these chapters really diving into what makes an Israelite an Israelite, what makes a member of Christ's church, what makes a disciple. Um, there are so many things in here that you will find. We'll give a couple that we found. But as you study, just think about yourself. Think about the things that you want um, and what determines your um, belonging in Christ's church. So I'll start with mine. Um, this is kind of two parts to the same thought. In the beginning of chapter 10, I love that Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer for God for them, meaning all of them, for Israelites and non-Israelites alike, is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Last episode, we called our episode Righteousness. And we talked about how important it is that we focus on Jesus Christ's righteousness um, and focus on his grace and his power to save, and then focus on our righteousness in relationship to that. First, we recognize his righteousness, and because he's so righteous, then we focus on being righteous. Well, the thing that I think that I think that's what makes an Israelite an Israelite or a member of the church is that someone that loves Jesus Christ and that and that has benefited from his righteousness. In chapter 12, uh, one of my favorite verses, uh, which I think is another description of, a, of an Israelite, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern that is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, what makes an Israelite an Israelite? Well, number one, it's someone that believes in and loves and has benefited from the righteousness of God. And number two, it's someone that refuses to be conformed to the world, 
but wants to be transformed by Christ from the world to be something new and different. And if there isn't anything more um, unifying than that as members of a faith, as, as members of and believers in Jesus Christ, I just feel like we all have the same goal. We're all going to get there in different ways, but that end goal is something that will always unite us. I remember when we got married, um, it was the bishop of, I think it was my singles ward that drew this little tiny diagram. And I'm, I'm sure other people have seen this, but he just drew a triangle. At the top of the triangle, well, the bottom left of the triangle was me, the groom, the husband. At the bottom right of the triangle was you, the wife. And at the top of the triangle was God. And he just illustrated that as we come closer to God, we very naturally come closer to each other. And if we want to become closer to each other, that's going to naturally bring us closer to God. And in talking about this, I think, you know, the way to unify a church is exactly this. The more we focus on the Savior, the more we focus on his atonement and his gospel and his teachings and his sacrifice and his righteousness, the more we become unified and the more some of these differences maybe melt away. Um, I had the chance this week to have just the briefest glimpse into what... Um, membership in the church looks like in Africa. And uh, it was amazing. It, I was in a, a meeting with, with Elder Bednar and, and he was just sharing some of the things that he has witnessed about members of the church in Africa. He shared the story of a, of a, of a sister teaching in Relief Society about fasting and who said to her sisters, sisters, it is not fasting when we go without food. We have many days where we don't have food. It's only fasting when we have food and choose not to eat it. And it just blew my mind. That's what people live like there. And so Elder Bednar's statement was, when you have nothing, the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything. And he testified of how simple the faith in Jesus Christ was there, of what their testimony meetings looked like. And it was humbling to me to think, here's a people that are unified because they have this one thing that they're centered on. And it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ who has changed them from, from everything. And that's what brings them together. It was fun for me as I was actually listening through these verses um, and kind of maybe seeing the transformation in Paul and in these his fellow Christians that he gives thanks to in chapter 16 at the end of, of this book. Um, and surprisingly, I was kind of taken off guard. I think I was actually out on a run listening to the scriptures and I kind of got a little bit emotional um, as I heard him give thanks to his fellow servants, as he calls him, and um, his fellow co-workers in Christ, which he labels them a few times. Um, I'll just read a little bit, but first he gives thanks. I commend to our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, um, he says, you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require of your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Um, he gives goes on in verse 3, give my greetings to Prissa and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. Um, Greet my dear friend, Apatinitis. He needs a name change or a nickname. <laughs> Sorry about that bad pronunciation, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you, 
um, fellow prisoners, fellow Jews, all of these names that he goes through. I actually went through and highlighted all the names because I think I was just moved to see all of these people that they were banding together. And we don't know the history on these people. I guess he's mentioned Phoebe before. Um, and Priscilla and a couple others, but yeah, right. we don't know a lot of their stories. But we don't know their stories, but what we do know is that they are... He feels a love for them. Paul loves them for the work that they've done and the work that they've been able to do together. Um, and the different weight that they've pulled in this united effort to spread Christianity. And I think that's why it was just moving to me to um, hear these different ways and these different roles that each of these these saints held at this time, which I think is, is exactly how it is for us. Um, that we have the chance to use our strengths um, and our weaknesses and our doubts and our faith to really build up the kingdom that each of us are needed. I've had a couple of conversations just with individuals over the past couple of years um, in different functions and different assignments. Um, I've been with the bishop of our ward on multiple visits to people who express their feelings that they that they are outside of the church for one reason or another, that they don't belong, that they have doubts or questions. And he has said the exact same thing to every one of them. And it's something I've repeated to anyone else I can. And that is, we need you. You belong with us. We love you and we want everything about you. We want your good parts. We want your bad parts. We want your faith and we want your doubts. We want your strength and we want your weaknesses. We want all of you and all of your family and everything. We want it all. Um, Paul says in chapter 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement, I love that title, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Um, I, I know because I've been outside and I know what it feels like to feel outside, but I also know even stronger than that what it feels like to be welcomed by Christ into his love, into his gospel, into his church, and to realize that I was never outside of it, um, no matter how I labeled myself. Thanks so much for listening. This week, we are still taking submissions of questions. If any of you um, have something you would like to share, we would love to share it and think about it. And don't forget to look out for the bonus episode coming up later this week. Thank you so much for being here.